Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Hey there, I'm your communication coach, Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Welcome to Talk About Talk. If you're a lifelong learner, or if you're trying to get noticed and advance your career, or perhaps both, then you're in the right place. Talk About Talk is a learning platform an online resource where you'll learn how to boost your communication skills. If you check out the talkabouttalk.com website, you'll see a variety of resources, including academic and white papers, corporate workshops, one-on-one coaching, online courses, and the email newsletter, which you can think of as your source for free weekly communication coaching. There's also an archive of over 60 podcasts now, and I update the website with new resources every single week. At Talk About Talk, we talk about things like networking, storytelling, communicating with confidence, and communication for educators. This episode will appeal to educators, to teachers, of course, but also to parents of school-aged kids. It'll also appeal to anyone who coaches or teaches even informally. If you are a teacher, I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for dedicating your career to education. And for people who haven't formally taught before, I think teaching can seem a lot easier than it actually is. Teaching is all about communication, isn't it? And there are high stakes. You're shaping minds. Students have very high expectations. And parents have even higher expectations. I remember my first year teaching when I was on the faculty at the University of Toronto. I was like a deer in the headlights. Yeah, of course, I have stories. Let's just say it wasn't all smooth sailing, but I took it very seriously. And by my second year, I actually won a teaching award. That said, I only had the students to deal with. Once students are in university, of course, they're considered adults. So I didn't have to also deal with their parents, thankfully. So to all you K-12 teachers out there, bless you for what you do. The communication skills required of you are enormous. There's the in-class teaching, the online teaching, and then there's communication with parents through report cards and parent-teacher interviews and day-to-day interactions. Yowza! Never mind communicating with school administrators. In this episode, you'll hear my top five communication insights from teaching. One of these insights relates to technology in the classroom. And that brings me to an amazing guest expert that you're going to hear from in just a minute. His name is Chris Bessie, and he's a senior executive and investor in the Edsby Education Platform. Recently, I was asked to interview Chris for an online conference hosted by Ensemble called The Future of Learning. I'll leave links to that online conference in the show notes. So here's the plan. First, I'm going to share my top five insights for educators, and then you'll hear my interview with Chris Bessie of Edsby focused on the future of learning. Okay, are you ready? Let's get into my top five communication insights for educators. They are number one how to think about the teaching advice that you're going to hear from lots of people, including me. Number two, the power of stories and storytelling. Number three, seeking the ideal level of confidence in the classroom. Number four, going multimedia. And number five, as I said, embracing technology. So my first insight here is something that I believe transcends well beyond teaching. The insight is this. When you're considering advice about how to teach, Yes, including the content in this podcast. You can take the advice about what not to do, the common teaching pitfalls, at face value. The advice about what you should avoid is probably valid. However, when it comes to prescriptive advice about what you should do in the classroom, take it with a grain of salt. It needs to work for you and your style, and you need to be authentic. 
As a doctoral student, I was privileged to learn how to teach from observing and interacting with award-winning faculty. I remember in particular conversations with HBS faculty members Youngmi Moon and Francis Fry. They were both so generous sharing their insights, and they both won teaching awards all the time. Students adored them. And I first heard this advice about how to interpret the do's and the don'ts of teaching from them. Lots of teachers will share their advice about teaching, but here's the insight. You can take teaching advice about what you should not do, about what to avoid at face value, but when someone tells you what you should do, take it with a grain of salt, as I said. Why is that? Well, there certainly are common teaching pitfalls, things we should not do, like not assigning homework or assigning way too much homework, or here's a common one, choosing favorites, having a teacher's pet. This advice, the don't do this or the don't do that advice, you can probably take that at face value. On the other hand, if some well-meaning, experienced teacher gives you advice for what you should do, like say the personality you should adopt in the classroom or things you should say to the students, you need to carefully consider that prescriptive advice. The reason is simple. The best teachers are not only passionate, they're also authentic. They have their own style. Simply put, you're a teacher, not an actor. Of course, I realize this insight requires some thought and discernment. If your boss tells you that you need to adopt a certain style, and particularly if you've heard it from more than one source, well, it's probably valid. You might also want to consider this advice outside the context of teaching and education. Personally, I use this filter all the time when I hear advice about parenting or even about things like giving speeches. If someone's warning you about a common pitfall, it's probably valid for many people, including me and including you. But if they're prescribing how you should act, ask yourself whether it matches your style and whether it feels authentic. Got it? Okay. Insight number two is leveraging the power of stories and storytelling. If you've listened to previous Talk About Talk podcast episodes, then you know that storytelling is a superpower. But I'm not the only one that thinks this. Research shows that stories engage audiences, so they pay more attention. Stories are also memorable. So let's just think about that. If we incorporate stories into our teaching, our students will pay attention and they'll remember things. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Do you remember some of the stories that your own teachers told? My kids tell me stories that their teachers shared all the time. I mean, let's be honest. My kids don't tell me a lot about what happens at school. You know what I'm talking about. How was your day at school? Their answer, one word, good. What did you learn? Again, one word, nothing. But then later, they'll tell me the story that their favorite English teacher shared about her twins, or the story their science teacher shared about what happened to him on the weekend. So, if nothing more, the stories that teachers tell make the classroom more engaging. But ideally, the story will relate to the classroom lesson and reinforce the learnings. When I was in my second year as a doctoral student, I had to take this microeconomics course from this amazing professor named Jerry Green. And when I say amazing, I mean like he wrote the 500-page textbook for this doctoral level class. Yeah, he was a fantastic teacher. I had no real interest in economics. This was a required class, but he actually made it interesting. Anyway, I vividly remember a story that he told us about how he and his wife were baking a chicken for dinner and the glass dish broke in the oven. I think the lesson in his microeconomics class that day was something to do with over and underestimating probabilities. He told us that his wife wanted to wipe the glass off the chicken and eat it. I know, right? 
He told us that sometimes, even when the probability is very, very small, the implications of a negative outcome can be so detrimental, like, say, eating glass, that considering the probability of that negative outcome is irrelevant, or perhaps even irrational. So what did he do? He threw the chicken in the garbage, and they went out for dinner. Wow, I can picture Professor Green perfectly in my mind telling us that story. And that's my point. Stories bring the classroom to life. The third insight I want to share with you is about being confident in the classroom. Confidence is clearly important. If you're not confident, then the students won't respect you. On the other hand, arrogance can be even worse. So the ideal level of confidence is truly a fine line. I have three things that might help you here. First, tips on how to boost your confidence. Second, how to avoid being arrogant. And last, one concept that I think might help you find that ideal equilibrium. So first, how to boost your confidence in the classroom. Of course, there's practice. Practice makes perfect. Practice and experience will help you immensely in terms of your confidence. Beyond that, I hope you'll listen to my two Talk About Talk episodes on confidence. Number 58 is about mentally preparing to communicate with confidence. And number 59 is about how to boost your confidence in the moment. I promise, promise you that the frameworks in these episodes will help you boost your confidence. Now then, arrogance. For what it's worth, I've never heard my kids complain about their teacher lacking confidence or even about them being shy. A few times they have complained about arrogant teachers who they say, quote, think they're so great. Now, I get that they may have misinterpreted what was going on with their teacher, but what's important for us as educators to consider is that in achieving the ideal level of confidence, we should consider not only how to boost our confidence, but also be conscious of where confidence becomes arrogance. Do you know what I mean? Let me list for you the attributes or traits of someone who is confident and then of someone who is arrogant. So confidence is rooted in positivity, optimism, and learning. Confident people are internally focused and intrinsically motivated. Confidence means humility, respect for others, and being an active learner. And confident people learn from their mistakes. They're willing to take the blame. On the other hand, arrogance is rooted in insecurity and defensiveness. Arrogant people seek to protect their reputation. Arrogant people are externally focused on what others think of them. At the same time, they're self-absorbed and they have no time to actively listen to others. Arrogant people point fingers and they fear blame. When I look at these two lists, there's one term that comes to mind, growth mindset. And I think this is a key insight for communicating as an educator. If you truly have a growth mindset when you're teaching, that will build your confidence and prevent you from being arrogant. Certainly, we all have things to learn, right? Not just the students. Okay, that's three. The fourth insight is about communicating the material through multimedia. For starters, we know there are auditory learners, visual learners, experiential learners, and I could go on. So do your students a favor and vary the media that you use in your teaching materials. Let them hear it, read it, watch it, write it, play with it. The more media that you use, the better. Of course, the students will be more engaged because it's more interesting when they're not just reading or just listening, but they're reading and listening and writing and playing and, and... There's all sorts of research out there, some of which I listed in the show notes, that show the more you layer various learning media, the better students learn. It's really not surprising, though. 
You can even think about engaging the left side of their brain, the analytical or rational side, as well as the right side, the creative side, with various learning material. Suddenly, their whole brain is engaged. So that's four. Go multimedia to accelerate your students' learning. The last insight I want to share with you is to embrace technology. As a teacher, chances are you might be a generation or so older than your students, and they might be light years ahead of you in terms of their technology expertise, but it's worth it to make an effort to employ technology in your teaching for several reasons. Of course, this relates to the multimedia recommendation that I just mentioned. By exposing your students to various media, you're probably employing technology. That's a great start. It'll make the lessons more engaging to students. But technology can also help you with things like administrative duties, your grading, your communication with students' parents, and with administrators. In just a minute, you're gonna hear from our guest expert, Chris Bessie. Chris says that when it comes to technology, if you walked into a classroom today, or at least, let's say, pre-COVID, it wouldn't be much different than what it looked like when we were in school, or even when our parents were in school. Very teacher-centric, with lectures and textbooks. Prior to COVID, the education sector had one of the slowest adoption rates for digital technologies at just 2-3% to of total spending. As you'll hear in a moment, there are so many advantages of employing technology in the classroom. So that's the fifth insight. Embrace technology. Okay, did you get all that? My five insights for educators are number one, how to take teaching advice, specifically accepting advice about what not to do, but questioning advice about what you should do in the classroom. Number two, leveraging the power of stories and storytelling. Number three, seeking the ideal level of confidence through your growth mindset. Number four, going multimedia. And number five, embracing technology. Okay, now let me introduce you to Chris Bessie. Chris Bessie is the Chief Commercial Officer and a member of the Board of Edsby, an award-winning SaaS or software-as-a-service digital platform combining learning management features with advanced assessment, reporting, and parent communication. He is deeply passionate about growing and transforming the education sector, having spent over 30 years building businesses in education. He's also been an active contributor to numerous boards and committees exploring innovation and excellence in education. Prior to Edsby, Chris was CEO of Edgemakers, Fresh Grade, and Managing Director K-12 of Nelson Education. Thanks so much for being here, Chris. Oh, pleasure, Andrea. Thank you for having me. As I told you before, Chris, two of my kids go to a school that's been using Edsby for years, and I'm a big fan. So I thought, why don't we start by having you share with everyone, what is Edsby? That is awesome. I'm so glad that your kids are using it and that you like it. So Edsby is really the most comprehensive digital learning and data system available in K-12. It really is a central virtual meeting spot for students and teachers, administrators and parents. It keeps everyone in, in the loop and engaged, all the stakeholders. So for students, they can see their class schedules and their assignments. They interact in this familiar private social media-like system, safe from the public internet. Parents see their child's homeworks and grades. And even better than that, they get a window into their child's learning all the time. Teachers get course planning, attendance, assessment tools, and administrators can access district-wide analytics and identify students at risk. It's basically everybody gets what they need in real time in one app. I would love to elaborate in a minute on that collaboration, the communication. That's a huge benefit of Edsby, but I just want to back up a minute and kind of state the obvious 
with what's been going on in the world with the global pandemic, I've observed that Edsby and other education platforms have really accelerated in terms of their adoption and their proliferation in various educational environments. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you talk to anybody who's in the uh, digital education space and they would say they've had rapid adoption ever since COVID-19 happened. COVID, you know, for education, it's been a real accelerator. And the reason that is, is because like every other industry, we were forced to do things differently. And education, you know, has stuck to the status quo for so many years. If you kind of look at what the OECD would say, they note that student engagement has plummeted over the last 10 years and lost pace with technological advances. You know, the education sector is one of the slowest adoption rates for digital technologies at 2 to 3% of total spending. And generally speaking, you know, if you walked into a classroom today, it wouldn't be all that different than what it looked like when we were in school or even when our parents were in school. Very teacher-centric and kind of this lectures and textbooks phenomenon, right? But what education has done extremely well is research. Research on optimizing what the learning environment should look like and how to prepare our kids for the world that awaits them. Problem is, there's been this kind of buffer between what we know is good for learning and what we're actually doing for learning. And some of that research, I'd say, where, you know, what are those skills and competency required for today's learner? You know, we hear about 21st century learning. What does that mean? Well, it means how do we build competency in our kids around creativity, around communication and collaboration and critical thinking and computing and character education? These are vital to students in their learning as we move forward. How do we move to a student-centric learning model where students are empowered in their own learning, where teachers are guiding and framing and assessing and coaching? And then, you know, lastly, how do we leverage digital tools to drive greater efficiencies in the learning process? So we've had this disconnect. So COVID hits, you know, March, 98% of the world's student population, their schools closed. So we have no choice but to move to this alternative mode of education delivery. I mean, this was just thrown upon us, and it was thrown upon education leaders and educators and teachers, et cetera, and they had to transition on the fly, as did parents. I mean, all yeah. of a sudden, parents were hosting the school. Right. And, you know, I heard this great quote from one of Canada's uh, leading superintendents, where he called the pandemic as a fuel for transformation. And it's no different than any other sector. Businesses are operating remotely. What's happened to the restaurants? What's happened to just our social lives, et cetera? We've learned to adapt because that's what human beings do, and education is no different. So the barriers protecting the status quo have been forced down, and we now have this incredible opportunity to implement what we already know is best for learning. Right, right. So I love that take. There is a silver lining, right? It has served as a catalyst to accelerate our advancement in education, in medicine, and some businesses have pivoted and and flourished as well. Can you talk a little bit about how the adoption of educational technology platforms like Edsby will improve learning opportunities for students? How is it going to enrich the learning experience? Well, at the core of it is it optimizes communication, collaboration, and connection between the stakeholders in learning, namely, obviously, the student, the teacher, and the parent. I mean, those are the key stakeholders. And so you need some sort of central communication tool that that allows that to happen. Can I just interject and and say, as a parent, it is 
fantastic to have access to this platform where I can see what's upcoming. So, you know, on the weekend, I can say, hey, you have a test on Tuesday, you need to study. And also, I can see test scores immediately. I don't have to wait for report cards. And communication and collaboration really is are the two words that I would say kind of sum up one of the biggest benefits, at least as a parent. So thank yeah. you for that. Well, you know, interesting. For parents, you know, historically, students have been the gatekeepers of information yeah. flow between the school and the home. You know, what information did you have about your child's learning? It really came in th- three modes. One was the report card you mentioned. And, you know, what's a report card? It's a piece of paper that comes out three times a year and it has a bunch of numbers or letters on it. You know, what does that really mean about my child's learning? You know, so you have that. And then you have these parent-teacher interviews, which are more like speed dating events, where you kind of get in, you have your five minutes, you get into no depth, really, and understanding, you know, how your child is doing. And then the third and probably most important flow of information comes from your own child. And that's usually, you know, how is school today? What did you do at school today? And, you know, the typical answer of a child is, I'm not sure, I don't know. So you don't really get a lot of information. How was your day? Great. What did you learn? Nothing. Exactly. (laughs) And so now, when, as you said, you have a front row seat at your child's learning because you have access to their learning. And now the conversation when your child gets home changes. It's not, what did you do at school today? It's, hey, I saw you speaking French. What were you saying? That was really cool. Or I saw your project you were presenting. That was really interesting. Now your child lights up because they want to tell you and it changes the dynamics. And that is so, you know, the scientists would say that is so powerful around brain development, et cetera, and around uh, empowering kids around their learning. So you're absolutely right. That's one of the best things. And, and I would add also, you know, if you're a straight A student or you have a child who's a straight A student, that's not as much an issue. But many of our kids are vulnerable. They're having issues learning. They're, they're stressed. And when a parent can actually see and help and support, because, you know, parents want to do anything for their their child. And as you said, when you can see that they've got a homework assignment due next week or a test that they're preparing for, at least you can remind them and encourage them to prepare, etc. So for parents, it just it brings them right into the equation. So you mentioned that education platforms like Edsby are shifting the focus from being teacher-centric to student-centric. And that's a little bit of what you're describing. Can you elaborate Mm -hmm. on that a little? Yeah. So it's really about allowing students to take ownership of their learning Mm -hmm. so that the teacher is more of the coach, is more framing the learning, is supporting the learner and coaching them through their learning experience. So delivery can certainly be student-led and teacher-framed. Right. Um, So when students are empowered around their learning, they're obviously more engaged because they own their own learning. And when they're they're more engaged, the learning is just so much richer. So if a student can come in and they can see what it is they're responsible for learning, they can go through their course content, they can provide that information to their teacher, their teacher can give them immediate feedback on that. You know, it just changes the learning process. They're not sitting back, sitting in their seat, listening to a teacher with their 25 other peers looking up at a blackboard and trying to take that in. It's really the opposite of that. So as you're describing that, you're reminding me of of a thought that I had as I was preparing for this interview. I'd never explicitly thought about this before, but online platforms like Edsby are teaching our children how to learn, right? They're not being passive. They're learning to be proactive to accessing the various resources that are available to them, obviously, on the Edsby platform itself and then beyond. And that really excites me because... I'm hoping that that's going to enable my children and all children around the world to become more proactive learners, lifelong learners with a growth mindset. 
Do you guys have any learnings or insight about that? Of course, you know, we're all lifelong learners. We go through a stage in our life when we're young where we go to formal institutions to actually develop the skills and competence to be successful adults. Prior to the internet, let's say, where information was not as available as it is today, we had to provide that content and information as teachers to our students. As the world has evolved, there is so much information out there that students can access anytime, anywhere. So it's not about learning the facts, it's about dealing with it. So that's where these competencies are so important. We need to teach our kids to be critical thinkers. We need to learn how to learn. I mean, that is most important. And I mean, I think that's always been the purpose of our educational system. But, you know, with technology giving us access to subject matter experts, to all the information out there, it's so very, very important. So you, you, you nailed it. It's all about learning to learn. Yeah, I mean, it's multimedia, and then even within each media type, it's overwhelming the amount of resources that we have access to. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? I'd say for, you know, just two other stakeholders, I think, you know, where, where these types of technologies are very important. You know, for teachers, you know that teachers spend only 49% of their professional time interacting with their students. Mm. And that's because of the administrative and prep time, those burdens that sit upon them. One of the other areas that we look at and, and have built into platforms you know, like Edsby is to take that burden off, lessen it, less time they can spend preparing and administrating. It's just better for our kids. I can see that. Yeah. And then for administrators, you know, we live in a data world now. And, you know, on top of all the efficiency that is gained on, on the system management, there's a wealth of analytics that we provide that can help identify students at risk. When we diagnose students with learning issues, we're usually diagnosing them a little too late. So these are lag indicators. But now with the data that we're able to create and get these data sets, we can actually start to look at some patterns and we can identify kids at risk, some more lead indicators. So that if they're going to have some reading issues, we can pick that up when they're five, six, seven years old, rather than when they're eight, nine years old, when it's a lot more difficult to intervene on that. So I think the data analytics is also really, really important for our learners. That's uh, absolutely true. And I can tell you as a parent that I have immediate access, right, to what happened in my kid's class today. Yeah, so there's no more report card lag and surprise at report cards. So you you. see a report card every day. That's the that's the nice thing is you can go every day and see how they're doing. Exactly. Thank you so much. You're welcome. If you're a regular listener of the Talk About Talk podcast, you may have noticed there were no five rapid fire questions for Chris Bessie. As I mentioned, this interview was recorded as part of an amazing online conference called Ensemble, the Future of Learning. There's a high quality video of the entire conference online. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. In this video, you'll hear, actually see, an excerpt of my interview with Chris Bessie, but also many others. My favorite part of the entire conference was probably when media guru Amber Mack interviewed the new president of OCAD University, Anna Serrano. Such incredible thinkers, those two. The Ensemble conference organizers asked each of the conference speakers to share what they think about the future of learning. Here's what Chris said and what I said. Hey there, it's Chris, and the future of learning is right now, and it's transformational. 
and the future of learning is collaborative. Technology enables communication, making learning more accessible and more interactive. Okay, so thanks so much to Chris Bessie for sharing his expertise and his insights. I have to say that since I met Chris, I'm even more enthusiastic about the future of learning, especially with technology platforms like Edsby. The rapid adoption by schools and school boards of technologies like these may be a silver lining of COVID. Suddenly, as Chris so succinctly put it, parents are now hosting the school. I wonder what proportion of education spending goes towards technology now. A few of the main reasons we should be excited about this? Well, let me highlight five from this conversation. Education platforms shift the focus in education from being teacher-centric to being student-centric. Platforms like Edsby improve communication. Yes, that's the magic word, communication and collaboration between the relevant stakeholders. And there's four main stakeholders, students, teachers, parents, and administrators. Number three, Education platforms like Edsby take some of the administrative burden off of teachers. Chris said that teachers spend only 49% of their professional time interacting with students, and that's mostly because of the administrative and prep time. Technology can help shift this emphasis. Number four, education platforms like Edsby enable accessibility and immediacy of information and feedback regarding students' progress. These platforms mitigate nasty report card surprises. It's like getting a report card every single day. And more importantly, it mitigates the late diagnoses of learning disabilities. And when the information is data, there's so much potential here with data analytics, right? And last, five, my favorite point. Education platforms like Edsby encourage students to learn how to learn. Suddenly, students have access to a familiar, private, social media-like system. It's a central virtual meeting spot for them. Guided by their teachers, they can learn to explore what's on that platform and beyond, and hopefully become lifelong learners with a growth mindset. One last thing before we close out this episode. If you're a parent looking for more advice about how to enable your child's online learning, there's a Talk About Talk episode that can help you with that. It's episode number 49. Parenting Teens and Online Learning with learning strategist Kimberly Akers. There's lots of great parenting advice in that episode, and Kimberly has some fantastic ideas about optimizing their online learning. Definitely worth a listen. Now, I want to encourage you to check out the show notes for this episode. Go to the talkabouttalk.com website and click on podcast. There you'll find the show notes, including a summary of my five insights for educators and a summary of my conversation with Chris Bessie, plus lots of references and resources and the full transcript. While you're there, I hope you'll also sign up for the Talk About Talk Communication Skills newsletter. This is your chance to get free communication skills coaching from me every week in a simple to digest email. I promise no spam and no more than once per week. Just go to the talkabouttalk.com website to sign up or you can email me directly and I'll add you to the list. You can email me anytime at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. I love hearing from you. Thanks for listening and talk soon.